a lot of times they would pick my male co-anchor. Whenever a president would come in town, they would pick the male co-anchor to interview, you know, a sitting president who would come in town. But in this situation, uh, Barack Obama's administration, for whatever reason, chose me. And so they wanted me to come to uh, Washington, D.C., to the White House to interview him about the Iran nuclear deal. So first of all, just just them selecting me. I don't even know how they made that selection process because no one else in Michigan was selected. Welcome back to another episode of Kel's Big Little World. For our new listeners over on this channel, I'm Kel, and I interview guests from all over the world to explore their beliefs, careers, and day-to-day life. All to reveal that we're united in something greater, a shared journey through this big little world we call home. Today, we'll be talking to a woman who has made a big impact on news and journalism in the state of Michigan. She has made strides to rebrand the city of Detroit and help an upcoming generation. One of her favorite quotes is from Martin Luther King Jr. And the ultimate measure of a woman is not where she stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but where she stands at times of challenge and controversy. Through all of the trials she has faced, she still stands strong and is dedicated to her mission. With that being said, let's welcome WXYZ Detroit News anchor, Carolyn Clifford. Carolyn Clifford is a 22-time Emmy Award-winning journalist who anchors the 4, 6, and 11 p.m. newscasts in the city of Detroit. She has traveled the world and worked with the WXYZ Detroit News since 2002 and has been inducted into the Michigan Broadcasting Hall of Fame, as well as been awarded the Best News Anchor in 2021 and 2022. She is dedicated to giving back to her city locally and covers news all over the country, including the White House, with her life-changing interview with President Barack Obama. Carolyn Clifford is a mother, a wife, an MSU Spartan, and a proud Detroiter. So first off, I just want to thank you for being with me today. Well, you are welcome, Kelly. I'm <laughs> glad to be with you. So as a journalist, you're mainly the interviewer. How does it feel to be on the opposite side of it? You know what? A lot of times it's strange um, to be on the other side. But um, when I'm speaking to someone like you, like a young student, and upcoming journalist, it's a it's a lot of fun because I like to see what you you can do on the other side, asking me questions. So, you know, it's a privilege. Mm-hmm. So growing up, like when you were my age, did you know you wanted to go into journalism? Let me see. So when I was in high school, I was in dance. I was a cheerleader. I ran track. I was big into theater and forensics. So instead of being in journalism, I really wanted to be in theater because I, I loved it. And I just love theater because I did. I loved being on stage. I loved acting. I loved every bit of it. I loved competing um, in high school in forensic competitions. And so my high school drama teacher and forensics coach actually sent me on, I mean, maybe four or five uh, auditions to get theater scholarships. And I won them all. But I still ended up going to Michigan State University and not pursuing theater. And I think um, I think sometimes when people get in your head, other people around me were sort of like, oh, my God, theater. How will you ever make it in theater? And don't major in theater. And so when I got to Michigan State, instead of going with what I loved and what was on my heart, I thought about looking through a book and thinking about money, which is what I tell young people not to do. You don't think about money. Think about what you love and what you're passionate about. Um, a high school history teacher, though, I remembered him telling me that I should major in communications or journalism when I go to college, because I did morning announcements and things like that. I was always speaking. I was always a class officer, that sort of thing. 
And um, so when I landed in journalism at Michigan State, it was like, oh, this is where where I'm supposed to be. And, and it worked out. But my first love was definitely theater. Why did you land upon uh, Michigan State University? Probably be because my oldest sister, I'm the youngest of nine. And really, there are 10 of us because my mom adopted my sister. So there are actually um, 10 kids in my family. But my oldest sister, she went to Michigan State and one of my older brothers, he went to Michigan State. And so I really just followed in their footsteps. And the other schools, um, like I got a theater scholarship to Eastern Michigan University. But um, to be real with you, my high school boyfriend was already at Eastern and I didn't want to be in the drama that I felt in high school. So I chose not to follow him to Eastern. And uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up at Michigan State instead. So coming from such a big family, how did you transition to, you know, just dorm life and living with a smaller community? Well, it really wasn't a smaller community because I ended up in Brody. If you know anything mm -hmm. about Michigan State, Brody is a big campus and you had to have community baths. So I felt like <laughs> I felt like I was back at home. So, you know, my first dorm, there were three of us. And then you had to walk down the hall and share a big bathroom with everybody else. So I felt like they sent my sister there. They sent my brother to Brody. And so, um, I don't know. I, I felt right. Well, I'm not going to say I felt right at home because the reason I didn't feel at home at Michigan state coming from Detroit, because being born and raised in Detroit, you see African-American faces always, you know, in your elementary school, in your high school, um, whether you go to, um, uh, you know, a department store or you go to the corner store or there was an African-American mayor. But when you went to Michigan State, for me, a lot of classes that I was in, I would be the only African-American in that class or maybe one of five. And so um, that was challenging and a lot different. You know what I mean? Dorm life was fine. That felt like home. But being on campus, it was it was, um, I don't know, something I had to adjust to. And going into MSU, did you have your mindset on any extracurriculars or things you wanted to be involved in? Well, at Michigan State University, um, I, I love dance. So the first thing I did is I auditioned for the dance department and the dance company, and I made that. And then I auditioned for the for the pom-pom uh, team. And so I made that. And that was really difficult, but I love dance and being involved in it in any way. And I was also in the Army ROTC, um, and that was really tough, and it made me... Uh, uh, respect anyone in our military. My brother was in the Air Force and a number of members in my family are still um, in the armed forces today. But for me, being in the Army ROTC, that taught me what toughness and, and real grit and real sacrifice is about because um, we went on these things called FTXs, which is like a weekend camping trip. You might mm -hmm. use leaves. You don't have toilet paper. You're eating sea rations. And I was cold and I was stinking and I was drying myself by the fire and I was the only woman out there. So anyway, so I have a lot of respect for anybody who sacrifices um, themselves in the armed forces and they're fighting for our rights here in America. So, you know, my hat's off to anybody in our armed forces. So at what point in college did you want to go into kind of media and news anchoring? So after trying, um, I first tried dentistry. And again, I looked in a book and I thought, oh, if I become a dentist, I'll make a lot of money. Um, and then I tried nursing and then I tried nutrition. Now, math and science are not my strong points, especially I, I could have made it through the math. You know what I mean? I could study really hard, go to tutors and make a good math. But chemistry was just like, oh, I don't know about you, but it was just like, no matter how 
no matter how hard I tried, that was just a, a difficult thing for me. Uh, so anyway, so after going through that and calling my mother and saying, I don't think I'm going to make it through this. Then I went to journalism and um, I don't know, it was just easy to me and where I belonged. I love writing. I love speaking. I'm curious. I love reading. Um, you know what I mean? So, so journalism just, it, it was like the light bulb went off and then I was where I needed to be. And it was, you know, smooth sailing from there. And again, I told you my high school history teacher told me to major in journalism or communications. And that's exactly where I needed to land, if not in theater. So from school, how did you transition to um, work at WXYZ Detroit? Well, um, so while I was at Michigan State, you have to do internships. And I tell kids, um, I learned the most doing free internships. Today, young people like you get paid for internships. But in my day, you got paid nothing. So um, I started off at a small African-American radio station um, doing anything from empty and trash to running down the hall. And so I, I started doing um, news and entertainment on the radio in the morning. And so that was my real, um, probably my first job. And then I did an internship at WLNS in Lansing. And I was the first intern there where they allowed me to be on the air. I wasn't getting paid, but I got a lot of experience. I would go out every day and report and they would actually put me on the air. And so I had to, I had to move around a lot. Um, let me, let me backtrack. So when I did the internship in radio, I did an internship at WLNS, even though I wasn't getting paid, but I was working on the air. And I also did an internship at WBZ in Boston. And it was for a talk show called um, People Are Talking. And if anybody watched Dancing with the Stars, when it first started, um, a guy by the name of Tom, Ber Tom Bergeron, he was the host of Dancing with the Stars with a number of hosts he had as his partners. But he was the host of People Are Talking. And so as an intern on People Are Talking, I had to find guests for the show. I had to help pick topics for the show. I had to pick music for the show. And that was real valuable experience. And so from there... I went from Lansing to Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, back to Lansing. Uh, I spent time in, uh, did I say Orlando? I said Orlando. I said Raleigh, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, and then home. So I had to do a lot of skipping around, getting more experience. And see, what you all probably don't think about, in my day, watching Channel 7 and growing up in Detroit, they never hired anyone. People never left. Reporters stayed forever. Anchors stayed forever. So it was very, very difficult to get hired at one of the stations in Detroit because people never left. So during all of these stints at different jobs, I would send my tape to news directors in Detroit and say, am I ready? Am I ready? Am I ready? And they'd say, no, work on this and work on this and work on that. And then finally, when I was in Pittsburgh, I only went to Pittsburgh if they gave me a Detroit out. And that just means I said, if I get a job offer in Detroit, you have to let me out of my contract. And they did after one year because I got a call from Channel 7 and then came home. Did you have any nerves just like moving around by yourself? Well, I wasn't by myself um, because I had my kids with me and, you know, my husband with me who was traveling a lot, but we won't get into that. But I, I always had my kids with me because I had kids early. It's very difficult. Uh, my The hardest schedule I think I was ever on was here at Channel 7 doing mornings because I'd get up in the morning and say, I don't know, 2.30 and have to be at work by 3.30, no later than 4. And then sometimes I would work until 6 at night. And I was definitely sleep deprived. 
Um, by the time I got here and I was doing that shift, though, I had my mom at home helping me with my kids. So that made a huge difference. But I'm not going to lie. I was sleepy all the time. So if I went to my kids' activities, um, being a morning anchor, I could be at their evening, you know, if it was a basketball game, a baseball game, or if they had a, a concert or something like that. And so I was really, really tired. I, I, I won't lie. But, you know, you do what you got to do. Were your kids aware that their mom was on TV? Um, when they were little, uh, I don't know if they really understood. I mean, they would come to work with me even in the morning. So if it was summer, they would wait for me and sit up and say, mom, can we come to work with you? And I had an office upstairs. So they would come to work with me whether I was working mornings or weekends. And um, so they knew what I was doing. You know what I mean? They saw me on television, but it wasn't a big deal for them. A lot of the, a lot of the kids of workers here at Channel 7, we almost had like a, a daycare upstairs in my office. So we had a VCR, we had a sleeping bag. So we'd get the kids pizza and they would watch TV and play games together and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, we made it work and my kids, you know, they didn't care whether I was on TV or not. They just knew they were going to work with mom and they could be with me all day instead of sitting at home with a babysitter. <laughs> so what does your typical day look like? Today? Um, today it's still, I still work really long hours. So, um, my mom lives with me and I've taken care of her for many, many years. And so she's older. So in the morning, I literally get up, give her her medicine, you know, feed her breakfast, make sure she's okay. Feed her lunch before I go out the door. Um, and I head out the door and get to work by two because I do the four o'clock, I do the six o'clock and I do the 11 o'clock. And we tape the four o'clock at three o'clock now. It used to be live at four, but now we tape at three. Unless there's breaking news and that sort of thing, then I am live at four. So I get here by two. I might touch up my hair. I might touch up my makeup. By 2.30, I'm normally sitting in the studio and going over my scripts and that, that sort of thing. We start taping at three. And then as soon as I get finished with that, around 3.30, I start preparing for the six o'clock, writing, reading, researching, whatever I need to do. I do the six o'clock and then I get a break like now. This is my dinner break that I'm doing this with you. And then I get ready for the 11 o'clock. Sometimes I might be doing interviews. Uh, I might be writing different stories, setting up different stories in between. I might be going out on a story. So every Monday typically is my early day. Today I'm working my regular shift, but typically I'm here early on a Monday where I get here at 10 o'clock, go out and do a report, come back and do the six and then I'm off. And then the rest of the days. Tuesday through Friday, I'm here on my normal shift, which is at two o'clock and getting ready for the four, six and the 11. And then I get out of here at about 1145. I typically work about 10 hours a day. So dealing with, you know, sleep deprivation and the heavy topics you deal with, how do you just cope with it all? Um, I'm not going to say it's not uh, difficult, but the way, I guess the way I cope, for example, my mom was a victim of domestic violence and I speak about it a lot. I speak at shelters. I speak at schools. Um, in any time I can speak out against domestic violence, I help domestic violence victims. So when there's a story like that on the air, and we've had a lot of them lately, um, I start thinking about what more can we do? Um, how can we really help people? Um, so the way I deal with violence like that, I'm actually talking to a group that I'm going to um, partner with to try and go into some of the schools in Detroit, especially the elementary schools and the middle schools to start working with young people. So the way I cope is trying to give back and do what I can to make a difference in our community.
So you're known for doing a lot of nonprofit work. How do you balance, you know, working with that and your job? It's, it's pretty easy because I grew up with a mom who was always doing um, things in our community. You know what I mean? I, I don't. And, and we didn't even call it community service back then, but she was always working at the church. She was always helping families. She was always raising money um, for different things. And and no matter what, she was helping people. So, you know what I mean? It's not even a matter of balance for me, really. I mean, I know I work hard Monday through Friday, but if my weekend is free, I'm definitely going to do something or help somebody. If I know somebody, um, especially in a domestic violence situation, if I can bring them clothes, if I can guide them, if I can talk to them when I'm in the community and I'm talking to women, a lot of women will hear me talk about my mom's story and they'll come up to me in the grocery store, especially if I'm with my mom and they'll say, because I listened to your mom's story, I got out of that dangerous situation. So, you know, it's, it's just rewarding for me. Um, I also work with um, First Step, a domestic violence um, program and nonprofit. And so I do a lot with them. And um, Beyond Basics is a tutoring program that helps kids in Detroit specifically. They send tutors in. And so if you're really behind in reading or you can't read, Beyond Basics has tutors in a lot of the Detroit schools who come in and teach kids how to read. Now, the reason I got involved with Beyond Basics, which is really, really important, one time I was in a Detroit courtroom because of a traffic ticket that my son got on my car, right? And so a lady approached me and she slid over to me and she said, uh, Miss Clifford, um, I'm embarrassed to talk to you. And my sister who was with me told me not to talk to you. And she said, but I can't read. I'm a grandmother and I, I don't know how to read and I don't know how to get help. And I told her, I said, listen, I'm going to get you help. I'll find a program for you. And I called around and called around and called around trying to find a tutoring program. And I finally, uh, one of my coworkers, Dave Llewellyn, told me about Beyond Basics. And I actually went through the training to become a tutor with Beyond Basics because they help so many kids and so many um, adults. And I wanted to tutor this woman. And do you know, she was too embarrassed to let her grandchildren know that she couldn't read. And what I'm gonna say to anybody who might be watching your podcast is this, it's never too late to learn how to read. So you work on a local as well as a global um, level. You interview president or former president Barack Obama. How was that experience? Was it nerve wracking? Um, it was nerve wracking, but um, if, you, if you read my bio or if you ever listen to me talk about it, it was the proudest moment in my career and here's why. So typically I've worked at many, many stations. A lot of times they would pick my male co-anchor. Whenever a president would come in town, they would pick the male co-anchor to interview, you know, a sitting president who would come in town. But in this situation, uh, Barack Obama's administration, for whatever reason, chose me. And so they wanted me to come to uh, Washington, D.C., to the White House to interview him about the Iran nuclear deal. So first of all, just just them selecting me. I don't even know how they made that selection process because no one else in Michigan was selected. There were like, mm, I don't know, eight anchors from across the country selected to come to the White House. So it was amazing. And yes, it was nerve wracking because you had to deal with Secret Service. You had to go through all of these steps to even get in the White House. And then when I got a chance to walk into a room with President Barack Obama, you only had five minutes to interview him, right? And then you had to stand a certain distance away from him. And you literally had to practice it with the Secret Service. And they would say, when you shake his hand, don't step forward. You couldn't even step forward to the to the president. So I had to shake his hand and then do the interview. And then we were allowed to take pictures afterwards. And he was like, come on, come on. And he let us get next to him. Um, so, but it was cool. It was cool to get a picture with him. It was cool to meet him. He was amazing. He still is amazing. And so, yeah, I was, I was nervous. 
made it through and it was great. What advice would you give students my age who are looking to do what you're doing on a local or a national level? Um, so the first thing I would say is do just what you're doing right now. So you're a content creator. You're already doing a podcast. You all do so many things on social media where you create content. So you're already a producer. So in my first market in Lansing, I had to do everything. I had to write it. I had to produce it. I had to edit it. I had to anchor it. Sometimes I had to do sports. Sometimes I had to do weather. So whatever you can do to create, meaning if you can write, if you can shoot, even with your iPhone, um, I've dealt with many of African-American women who, and, and men too, because I mentor both. Um, and, and I taught them, you don't have to wait for someone to allow you uh, to create a resume. If you have an iPhone, you can create a story and you can create a resume. So that's what I recommend. And then start thinking now, if you really want to be a journalist, our business is changing so much. I mean, what I do changes so much. So now we have MMJs, right? Multimedia journalists, meaning they go out, they write it, they shoot it, they edit it, and they send it in. So you need to be able to do all of those skills in order to make it uh, today. Um, again, it's changed a lot. So then you need to start thinking about what school are you going to go to, meaning what college are you going to go to? You don't necessarily have to major in journalism to do what I do. Plenty of people major in business or do internships at different places where you can learn what I do doing internships and still get that degree in business or a lot of people go to law school and that sort of thing. Um, and, but internships are the most important thing because you learn the most during your internships, during your college years. So by the time you're a senior, you've already made connections. You already know people at different stations and you can say, hey, so-and-so, I'm graduating. Do you have any openings? And then they go, oh, yes, I remember you, Kelly. Oh, you were you were great. We loved you when you were at the station. Yes, we have an opening for you. What tips would you give specifically to Black women about how to handle being in the public eye? When people talk about your makeup and your hair and your outfit choices. Um. I don't even, I don't really worry about that, but I will say this. Um, when you see us on uh, Detroit television, you see a lot of African-Americans, right? But in the other stations where I worked, when I worked in Pittsburgh, I was the only African-American on the air. When I worked in Raleigh, North Carolina, I was the only African-American female on the air. So I always tell young people, dress the part you want to play. Doing my first internship in Boston, I remember walking in and they were like, are you the new producer? And I said, no, I'm just an intern. But I, I knew I had to walk in looking professional. That's the same way I was an intern at Channel 6. And I was able to be a reporter because I, I dressed the part I wanted to play. I knew I wanted to be a reporter. So I came dressed looking like a reporter. And that's why it was fine to send me out to get a report and to put me on the air. You know what I mean? And do you know who um, Mike Taylor is? So he's a young African-American male. He does um, our weather and he grew up in Detroit and he said, Carolyn, I remember when I was at Channel 7 as an intern and you told me to dress the part I wanted to play. And you told me, don't come in here looking like I'm playing out in the street. And he said, I wore a suit every day after that. I wore a suit and tie for my internship. But here he is all these years later and see, he's a, a morning meteorologist. So he remembered that. In 2018, you had a um, health scare. How did you decide to share that with the public? Um, because I have been a health reporter for so many years. I did a, a Healthy Living Sunday on Sunday. So I did a 30-minute, thir half-hour 
health show every Sunday. And, um, and as a health reporter, I would ask people to share with me their, their cancer journeys, whether they had a heart attack, um, so, so many things. So I felt um, that it was important for me to share what I went through because I could help other people. And I did help a lot of people. People would call me. So um, I had no idea that I had a fibroid tumor growing inside me. And African-American women especially have a lot of fibroids. But after having all of my kids, I would be walking in the newsroom and I would have a really sharp pain. And I was like, oh, and it would stop me in my tracks. But, you know, as black women or as women in general, you just kind of blow things off and you keep it moving and you keep moving. I, I went for my regular exams every single year. But my gynecologist, when I would walk in her office, she would sit down and talk to me about a little bit of everything. And he didn't catch this tumor that grew inside of me about the size of a football, almost 10 pounds. So by the time I called a doctor, I trusted in the middle of the night because I almost couldn't urinate. I was like, there's something wrong, Dr. David, something is wrong. I said, you know, I really can't pee, you know, and, I, and I've been having this pain. So he made me come into the emergency room and that tumor was leaning up against my kidneys. So my kidneys were about to be destroyed. And so it was it was an emergency situation. And I was like, okay, well, I need to go back to work. And he was like, Carolyn, you're not going back to work. You know, we got to figure this out right now. So anyway, so then we set up surgery really fast. And the reason I shared all of that is because then a lot of women called me, you know, about what I went through and what the surgery was like. And they were talking about, I have fibroids. Can my fibroid tumors grow that big? And then I started talking to a lot of women. So the moral to that story is we have to be advocates for ourselves. If you have a pain or something is going on, don't wait, go to your doctor and figure it out. And if that doctor is not giving you the right answers or she's blowing you off, you need to go to another doctor. So this last question that I ask every one of my guests that come on my podcast, especially you, since you've had a different outlook on the world where you're taxed with, you know, talking to professionals on a local and national level. When did you realize that the world was smaller than you thought it was? So I'll go back to my mom, for instance. So I told you my mom does a lot of community service, right? And always has. And one thing she, she does year in and year out until probably the last two years, because now she has a little bit of dementia. She'll be 94 in November, but she's always worked with a group of nuns in Detroit. They're called Sisters Home Visitors of Mary. And these little nuns, they not only work in Detroit, but they work in Abuja, Nigeria. And there are a lot of poor families in Abuja. And a lot of kids were being abused. A lot of them don't have, they didn't have access to uh, hospitals. They didn't have access to books or schools and that sort of thing. So these little nuns go over to Abuja and they train up nuns in Abuja. And they've, they've opened up a hospital. They've opened up a school. They, they've opened up a house for nuns in Abuja. And my mother would have a gala every single year to raise money for these nuns and to help kids, you know, a world away. And I would take part in that gala every single year. And then when you think about, remember the little African girls who were kidnapped because they were trying to go to school? These kids in Abuja, Nigeria, don't live that far from them. So then I realized, wow, we can help them. I've seen some of these nuns from Abuja, Nigeria come here and I've met them and talked to them. And they were just like, thank you so much. You all have helped us over the last 25 years of me working um, 
with the Sisters Home Visitors of Mary. And so every year we raise thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for them over there. But also there's another woman um, who I met recently. Her name is Adrian, and she works um, in Ghana. And I did a story on her. Um, you don't think about little girls in Ghana not being able to walk to the grocery store or to a CVS to get sanitary pads. These little girls don't have sanitary pads. That's how poor they are in villages in Ghana. And I think about that for a second. So little girls, when they get their um, periods in Ghana, some of them committed suicide because when they would bleed in their dresses and they would only have maybe one dress to go to school, they not only wouldn't go to school, but people would make fun of them. And some of those girls, because they were made fun of, they felt embarrassed and they committed suicide. So this woman literally with her husband, they have raised money. And so they make washable sanitary napkins to bring over to these young girls in Ghana. And they also have um, a training program where they teach women in Ghana who are poor how to cut material, sew the material and make washable sanitary napkins for um, the girls and women in Ghana. So yes, you know, our world is small. And if we can, you know, shine the light on stories like that, if I can work um, for a gala every year and raise money for Sisters Home Visitors of Mary in Abuja, if we can do things in Ghana, yes, it is a, it is a small world, but we can all make an impact a world away or right here in our community, which is more important um, than anything. So yes, it's a, it's a small world. Welcome back to another episode of Kel's Big Little World. For our new listeners over on this channel, I'm Kel, and I interview guests from all over the world to explore their beliefs, careers, and day-to-day life. All to reveal that we're united in something greater, a shared journey through this big little world we call home. Today, we'll be talking to a woman who has made a big impact on news and journalism in the state of Michigan. She has made strides to rebrand the city of Detroit and help an upcoming generation. One of her favorite quotes is from Martin Luther King Jr. And the ultimate measure of a woman is not where she stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but where she stands at times of challenge and controversy. Through all of the trials she has faced, she still stands strong and is dedicated to her mission. With that being said, let's welcome WXYZ Detroit News anchor, Carolyn Clifford. Hey, 